Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. We're on page 53 of our journal this week if you are taking notes. Uh, If this is your first time here at City Collective, welcome. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And uh, we say this every week, uh, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus, exactly where you are at in your journey, uh, we hope that you feel welcome. Uh, We hope that this can be a place where you discover what we believe is the most important thing that has ever impacted my life and many of the lives of those in this room as well. We are in the final week of our series called Truly Human, where we are exploring what it is to have our identity in Christ, not simply through doing good things or through a good paradigm, but through the idea of Jesus presents what it is to really truly be human. We ask the question over and over again, Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And I wholeheartedly believe that the biblical narrative gives us a beautiful story and picture to look at that answers that question. That invites us to a place of hope and possibility. It's interesting that this week we are uh, seeing Ash Wednesday fall on the same day as as Valentine's Day. It's it's kind of ironic. Uh, These paradoxical themes of of repentance and love. And within my human mindset, I can have a really difficult time seeing how they maybe mesh together or fit together. But within the biblical story, we see how that actually takes place. So I I would encourage you to uh, lean in when it comes to Wednesday and moving forward in this Lent. But let's wrap up our series today. Uh, I'm going to read our scripture for the morning And we're going to be reading out of Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. And it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus, we ask that you would be with us this morning, that your heart would become our heart, that your thoughts would become our thoughts, and that your very being would be the one that we would pursue and live by. For all the ways we might be distracted or having our minds shifted, where maybe we're thinking about the afternoon to come, I just pray that you help us be present and available to what your spirit has to us, uh, to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. It is uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, we're, we're not doing anything particularly to highlight the Super Bowl, but it's interesting that uh, the Super Bowl is something that's like an event. It's a, it's a big thing that takes place. Simultaneously, uh, when we read a scripture like this, there's clearly an event that's going on, and it's an event that I've been blessed to be part of in a number of different scenarios in the last few years. I've done a lot of weddings. Uh, that's followed up with a number of baby dedications in the church. But we've done a lot of weddings, whether it was through COVID or it's on the other side of it. And I, I noticed that weddings have this consistent beauty to it. Whether it's like the, the ongoing pieces that are pretty consistent from wedding to wedding, 
or it's maybe the unique elements that are part of each family. Maybe it's a story that's told, a speech that's given. Maybe it's a, a tradition or, or a picture that's shown. Whatever it is, there's a beauty to it. And all of it's wonderful, but it all kind of culminates in that moment within the ceremony where there is a commitment that is made. And there's a lot of things that can go on on a wedding day. One of my responsibilities as the officiant often is to just reassure the bride and the groom. Things are going to happen on this day that you do not expect. But I want you to focus on each other. I want you to look at the other person and know that nobody could be there. There could be a ton of different things going on. But yet you are two people making a commitment together before God. I've often been a contributor to some of this chaos. One story in particular was a little bit more dramatic than the rest. I was doing a, a wedding at the UBC Boathouse, and it was a beautiful day. We were out on the pier. It was uh, all the chairs were laid out, and we, were, we had our backs to the water. And we were at the moment of the ceremony where we were exchanging the rings. And the rings were handed to me, and I had them, and they were kind of just sitting on the top of my, uh, of my book. And I had them there, and then suddenly in the distance, we hear this cawing sound, this loud reverberation of birds start to make its way towards us. And I look up, and there is a, I don't know, is it a gaggle, a cackle, whatever it is, a flock of birds making their way towards this wedding with a vengeance in mind, that this is our experience of it at least. And they flew over us and they bombed the wedding. People are ducking for cover. The MC got hit directly. She had to go home and change her dress. All the wedding party are like trying to like dodge or trying to block the uh, bride and the groom. There was a big shot that landed right in front of you, splashed up onto my, uh, my jacket, and I pull back, but I still have the rings on the book, and the rings fall, and we're on the pier, and they start rolling towards the edge, and thankfully the best man got there in time just to, to block it. We were a scene, and I wish I could say I'm just like making this up. This is quite literally what happened, and I got the rings, and I turned to everyone, and we make sure, is everyone okay? Are we still here? Because we've still got a really important piece to, to walk through. And, of course, it's a great story, and it's, it's a fun moment to reflect upon afterwards. It wasn't fun for the bride and the groom, particularly the bride in that moment. Uh, but they exchange their vows. They share the rings, and we come together, and we often with whoever I do a wedding with, uh, we take communion, and we take a moment. And I, and I tell this story because it's a lot of fun, but also in the midst of a wide litany of distraction, ultimately the moment that mattered was that commitment that took place. The rings were almost lost. Uh, people had to go and change. It was the most unexpected of events. And it could have been a wide distraction that would have taken away from the day, but ultimately the commitment that was made towards each other was the thing that they will remember and hold on to. They might remember the birds as well, but there's a lot that goes on in our lives on a daily basis. There's a lot that takes place 
in which we feel dive-bombed by birds and everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And sometimes we forget that in the midst of our everyday existence, where the chaos of life hits us at all sides, we forget the commitment that has been made to us and by us within our relationship with God. That in this passage of Scripture, and it's not isolated to Revelation, there is a commitment that is made beyond a nice handshake, beyond a promise, but a covenant relationship that God is saying, I am the bride, I am the groom, and you are my bride. This, this metaphor is meant to reinforce the extreme weight in which he holds the relationship that he has with you and with his church. This is part of being truly human, to live with the knowledge, the revelation, and with the confidence that you are the bride of Christ. This is what we are talking about today. That part of our identity, in the midst of all the different pieces, to be a, a child of God, to be part of a royal priesthood, a worshiper, to bear witness, to be a witness, ultimately when God looks upon you and when you look upon God, he wants that relationship to hold the gravitas of a covenant marriage relationship where the groom and the bride come together in union with purpose and with meaning. This is the way that we are meant to live each day. Now our text today uh, comes from the book of Revelation. And while I'm not looking to do a deep dive into this fascinating apocalyptic literature, our, for our purposes, it's worth noting a couple different things. First, it's the fourth of seven what we can call Beatitudes. And you'll notice that the language, we talked about the Beatitudes earlier in our series in the Gospel of Matthew. But you'll notice that the language within our passage uses a similar framework. Blessed are. And this Beatitude is a pivotal one declaring very simply that there is a wedding that's coming and you're invited to it. Not simply as the guest even, but as the bride itself. Second, the image of a marriage which is held within the ancient Near East paradigm, within the, the framework that Jesus was using, is different than the one that we're, mo we're most familiar with. Hebrew culture is full of tradition that is different than our current makeup and understanding. And third, this is the final book of the Bible and we are called his bride. We are called the wife of the Lamb. And it is the dominant metaphor used by the author throughout the book. It's used throughout the New Testament, and it's used throughout the Old Testament. And it's in from the lips of Jesus himself. All this to say, we're exploring this idea that you are the bride of Christ. And if you're looking for a sermon title, we're just calling it Wedding Plans. Now, to be the bride of Christ... Uh, you can hear about it from a number of different perspectives, but it is both communal and individual. The church is the bride because the church is the people. Sometimes this can get conflated and misunderstood because we have made the church to simply be an institution, an organization that has a board of directors and, and, a, and a budget that it operates with on a yearly basis. Do not lose sight of the fact 
that the church, according to the way that Jesus invites us to be, is the ecclesia. It's the gathering of people. It is the image bearers of God coming together with a purpose-driven existence to declare the good news of Jesus. This is the church. So it is both communal that the bride of Christ is present here. But it is also individual in that you, as an image-bearing follower of Jesus, are the bride of Christ. In a symphony, each instrument has a unique role and a sound. And they can all come together and perform individually. But when they come together in a unified manner, led by a conductor, there is a beautiful cacophony of music that blends together and produces something that captures the imagination of those who are listening. This is the bride of Christ. Individual musicians in the room Gifts and talents and experiences and backgrounds gathered together with a singular purpose to follow the conductor, to play the music that is being led, that we're being led through, so that others might hear the beauty that the conductor wishes them to hear. This is the bride of Christ. And so to be the bride of Christ has a number of implications. Implications for our life and the way that we live, the way that we go about each day. And so we're going to walk through four of them in particular. Now, the, the language of, of a bride might seem a little uncomfortable, uh, might seem a little odd to associate as a communal or an individual idea, but a bride is just simply a term that we don't often explore. So let me do that for us. Uh, Bethany Allen, she talks about a bride being this term which is actually distinguished from wife. Rather, it is an identity that centers not on the formal contract, but on the being the center of someone's affection and love. Bride is an idea that is connected to a counterpart, the groom. That is to say, there is not one without the other. And there's intimacy to it as well. Intimacy that comes with being a bride is equally as distinct as simply the identity. If the identity of a bride is being loved, then intimacy comes with being a bride in which love is aimed at someone. So when we say that love, when we say that you are the bride of Christ, when you hear the Bible talk about it, it is the writer trying to communicate that love is being aimed at you. That love is being directed your way. And not just from a secondary source, from the source of life itself. Love is being directed to you. In his book, From Here to Eternity by Frank Viola, he says that we are all born into a romance. One that he says exists at the heart of the universe. From philosophers like Plato and psychiatrists like Carl Jung... Each have spoken to the very real ache that we all have (coughs) to both give love and to know love. And all of this points to deeper questions that we face. Am I loved? Do I get any love in this life? Where am I in this story? So the first implication of knowing and becoming the bride 
is very simply that you are seen from the start. So here's the beautiful piece of this metaphor, is it's not just isolated to the final book, but it's in the first book as well. The truth precedes your very existence on the earth, because when we look at the creation story, we can see romance at play. Humanity is imbued with the image of God, made in his likeness is the language that's used. And Adam is given a vocation and a purpose, and we find in him this longing. If you're familiar with the story within creation, is Adam is formed, and he's given a vocation. And then within that purposeful life, he begins to feel lonely and longing for a companion, a partner. And in God's likeness, Adam feels God's longing. It's a longing for a partner, a desire to be with what we would eventually call a bride. In Genesis chapter 2, God lets Adam feel his own divine longing. And in verse 18, he reads, it says, It's not good for a man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. Now that phrase, suitable helper, is better translated opposite him or strength equal to him. So I want you to catch this. So here in the middle of life as it was meant to be, in the midst of Eden, we see that longing for partnership still exists. Longing for union still exists. And it's not just a longing that's in humanity. This is a longing within God. This is a reflection of God's longing for you and for me and for Adam to experience a fulfillment of that in Eve is a taste of what God wants each one of us to discover in relationship with him. See, the longing of your heart to be loved is a real thing. But it's not simply to be loved, it's to be seen. I don't know how many of you have experienced this, but I've found that there is a cry from my heart, whether it's in families and relationships or workplaces, that people around me would actually see me. Perhaps then I, I wouldn't feel alone in a moment. That, that the overcoming of, of loneliness or despair often begins with the simple fact that you are seen. To be seen is not to be simply recognized, but what happens when we are really seen? What, what does it feel like? In a moment of unexpected breakthrough, it feels as if Someone has seen beyond the masks of my life, beyond the things that I do, beyond simply what I have presented at that moment. And they have said, I've seen you and I still love you. Within my wedding vows with Adriana, it was one of the things that I articulated particularly. That it felt as if I had been able to show myself completely and still be loved. Because that is the longing of love in its truest form. To be fully seen, to be fully known, and to still be fully loved. And this is what God is doing from the very beginning. That he sees the longing of your heart. He sees the longing of your heart to be in relationship. To have, have people around you that would know you, that would be for you, that would show love towards you. And to be seen is this moment in which someone has almost identified a motivation 
And they've resonated with your longing and they've entered into it. And they have been with you. As the bride of Christ, the implication of being the bride is God has seen your longing. And he has resolved to fulfill it from the start. So every moment of loneliness in many ways is actually longing. And the implication of being the bride of Christ is that he has come to overcome all loneliness, all longing. And it's not just when he thought about it just now. It's been that way from the very beginning. It's really nice when someone comes to help make something better. It's even better. It's far superior when the purpose, the vision, the longing of that other individual becomes a shared one. So where Revelation maybe speaks of a divine wedding, creation speaks of a divine longing. Creation declares a divine longing. He wants you to know that you were seen from the start. The second implication of that identity as a bride of Christ is that you are pursued with purpose. Now, the imagery of romance and a bride is found throughout the Old Testament. We read the New Testament passage, but in the Old Testament, beyond creation, we see the narrative of pursuit follow humanity in God's relationship towards it. If we jump ahead, we see that there's these individuals called prophets. They, they were sent to express God's deepest desire, often by using the metaphor of a bride and a groom. God is the groom and the people are his bride. And <coughs> this provocative imagery points to the measure that God actually would go to to sacrifice and show love to his people. In Jeremiah chapter 2, we find this really clear imagery of God's people as a formerly loving bride who has now become a prostitute chasing after other men who would use and abuse her. And then in Hosea, probably the most well-known of this biblical metaphor, we find a prophet who is directed to remain faithful to his wife who has been repeatedly unfaithful to him. And he goes time after time displaying his unwavering love and commitment to the union. And not just to the union, but to who she shall become. And this picture over and over and over again that I want us to capture because I think it's a revelation that shifts our heart. This picture is meant to show us that God is like this in the face of great infidelity. That is to say, in the face of unfaithfulness, God is forever faithful. And he pursues us with the purpose, not simply of making our unfaithfulness known to us and creating guilt and shame and regret. His faithfulness is meant to be restorative, to be meant to be healing, it's meant to be life-giving. That when we encounter the faithfulness of God, we might become faithful in return. That we might be drawn into a deep and beautiful relationship that would shift our hearts and minds because we have seen for once what it is to be faithful. And we've said, that is the way that I wish to live. 
You are pursued with purpose. Despite rejections, his pursuit remains. And this is sacrificial love. It, it can be so easy to conflate sacrifice in a purely imagery context. But if we think about it, have you ever shown fully yourself towards someone and experienced rejection? Have you given love and experienced someone put their hand out and stop it from being given anymore? There is incredible loss within that moment. And so to show it again feels like sacrifice of my pride. Sacrifice of, of what I think is right. Sacrifice of what I believe should be justice. And God over and over and over again so shows us that self-sacrificing love, the sacrificing love that is God's love to us, is Him approaching us with love, experiencing rejection, and then coming again even harder. You are pursued with purpose. He is the groom and you are the bride. When considering this imagery, we need to continue to look at it through the lens of a Jewish marriage. It's really interesting that a Jewish marriage, it actually begins long before the wedding day. And it begins with something called a betrothal ceremony. And in this ceremony, a covenant is established. Now, let's remember, this is in the ancient Near East culture. So uh, there was practices that are not always fair towards the bride and the groom, uh, from the groom's side. But we are meant to understand what the metaphor is communicating to us. So the prospective groom would leave the father's house and he would travel to the bride's house. There, the groom would make arrangements with the bride's father in a specific settling of what was called a purchase price. And in that time, a woman's price, when it was laid out and when it was met, then as soon as the groom paid that price, the marriage technically went into effect. The man and the woman were legally husband and wife. She was declared consecrated and set apart before the wedding day itself. Does this sound familiar? If the wedding day that we've read about in Revelation is still to come, that does not mean that your identity as the bride of Christ is not set in place. In fact, you have already been set apart. In fact, you've already been consecrated because Jesus did not remain set apart but he left his father's house to come be with us. And upon entering into our house, he paid the price so that we could experience relationship with him that we have needed all along. And in this moment, you and I are set apart as the bride of Christ. Of great value that he has already paid. Jesus, God in flesh, shows up. He enters the human story and he pays this price. In the language of the New Testament, he becomes, we talked about it, the new Adam. And if we look at what it means to be the new Adam, Jesus, like Adam, carries the ache in his body to be unioned with another. And in that longing for a union... Jesus becomes the human that we need to be to obtain the joy and the passion that burned in his chest. In the New Testament, we find statements of this reality. 
Within Jesus' life, this was talked about multiple times. John the Baptist, the cousin and friend of Jesus, he refers to Jesus as a groom. In John 3 verse 29, he says, The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine and is now complete. This is John the Baptist speaking of Jesus. He says, that Jesus has come as the bridegroom that we've been waiting for. And that the joy is mine. He is now seeing it be completed. When Jesus was criticized by the Pharisees for allowing his disciples to fast on the Sabbath, Jesus' response to them is to say that the bridegroom has arrived and a groom who was happy, he was a groom who was happy to be with them, but also was pointing them to a new reality that was taking place. Jesus named himself as this. Others named Jesus as that bridegroom. All this to say that the reality of being the bride of Christ was known by Jesus so that he could declare that the very things that might separate us from him, he has come to eliminate. So he enters into the story. He breaks the, the, the chains of death and of sin so that the union can take place. It's one of the most beautiful things of the Christian story. That God himself so longs for union with his creation that he makes a way. That he finds a way for that to take place. And this takes us to the third implication that you are loved beyond understanding. What happens when we receive this kind of unconditional love? When we truly have a revelation of that love as it's meant to be, I believe that it transforms us. It begins to change us. It begins to move the way that we live. And this is what happens to the followers of Jesus. They experience unconditional love. They have a revelation of who he is. And what is birthed out of that? Well, it is what we call the church. All throughout the New Testament, we find the language that we're given in Genesis that, and when that's the language that's used to fill the pages of this new story of this new community that God's creating. And the mystery of this love, Paul says, can only be summed up in the mystery that we find in that union that happens between husband and wife. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, we hear him share these words after talking about love and union of a husband and wife, a bride and a groom. And he sums it all up this way. He says... This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. One of the challenges that we can come up against when we think about the communal nature of being the bride of Christ is that we can look at the church and we can not find it as a place in which we want to really commit, to really be. That has been a place where Atrocities have been committed and awful things have been done. Simultaneously, there have been the most beautiful things in history have often been birthed out of the church. The things that have transformed the world for the better have often been done through the church and his people. And our approach to the church often is a direct reflection of whether or not we have embraced what it is to be the bride of Christ. I find that we are always in conflict of two approaches. Now hear me. The church is not beyond criticism. 
This is not to say that you simply allow the church to do whatever the church wants to do and get away with it. It's not it. But there's a difference between cynicism and being prophetic. A prophetic voice enters into a space and declares the truth of God for the purposes of God. Cynicism points out what is wrong and says that it will never get better. A prophetic voice enters into a space and says that I see that there is something that's lacking and I'm going to engage in it to make it better. Cynicism looks at what's lacking and says it's never going to get better. There's an approach of our hearts that matters and it is found most centrally in a discovery of this mystery of love. This love between Christ and his church. Do you know that the love that Christ has for you is the love that Christ has for his church? And he looks upon the church as this bride with unending love and he wants his people to do the same. It's not to rid it of all wrongdoing, but it is to call out the church to be the very best it can be because of the love that is there for it. It is a love beyond our understanding. Just as you are love beyond understanding, so is the church. So is the gathering of people. Messy, broken, disheartened, needing help people. That Those are the people that should be gathering as the church. We are not attempting perfection. So we need to stop expecting it. We, this is a place in which we gather and experience wholeness and healing through the power of Jesus Christ. And it's by the power of his love. And then each and every day, we find the fourth reality that we're living, of implication, we're, we're living in that reality. Worship team, you can join me at the front. As his bride, we need to do whatever it takes to stay in love. To grow in reality. This is what I have, what, this is what I find within my own relationship, what I've seen in relationships around me. There's like a season in which you experience love for the first time, and it's like this puppy love, right? It's like this excitement. It's like I can't, you can't spend enough time with the other person. I met Adriana in May of 2019, and in May 2019, I spent a lot of time <laughs> hanging out with her. I couldn't stop thinking about ways in which maybe I could stop by or, or do something special or, or make her know that I'm thinking about her. And there was all this, it, was, it, it captured my mind. And sometimes in our relationship with Jesus, we have this, this puppy love season. We're excited, oh, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to get excited, I'm going to go to church. And we dive headfirst into all of it. And the reality of being the bride of Christ is learning to love when that puppy love is gone. Because what we are invited to do as the bride is actually to wait. In the wedding metaphor that's used, in the tradition of, of the Hebrews, at the conclusion of the ceremony, the groom leaves the bride's house and returns to his father's house. And he's gone for roughly 12 months. And during this separation, the bride would prepare herself for the wedding. 
During this time of separation, the groom would prepare an apartment in his father's house. And although the bride and the groom did not live together nor see each other, they were nevertheless legally and spiritually bound to each other. So binding was this betrothal agreement, this covenant, that if a man were to die during the 12 months, the woman was considered a widow. So the, the metaphor that is being used throughout the Bible tells us of his great love for us, but also our purpose out of it. That he's declaring that my love for you has sealed you and set you apart. And he's gone to be with his Father in heaven, and we believe that Jesus will return one day. But in our waiting, we have an active posture. We're living in the reality of being the bride of, bride of Christ. That we wait with a heart ready to prepare for the wedding day. And how do we prepare in a real way? How do we do that beyond this biblical language that can feel really uh, abs uh, a lot, uh, <laughs> unaware of what we're actually experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis? It's funny. It's, it's really simple what we've been even talking about. It's simply, I've committed my life to prayer, to relationship, to doing all I can to prepare my heart in a way that I might become more like Jesus. That I might become the bride that Christ wants me to be. At the end of the betrothal period, the bridegroom, dressed in festival attire and accompanied by his friends, would make his way back to the bride's home. And although everyone had a rough idea of when the groom would come, they did not know the exact day or hour. His arrival would be preceded by the shout, and this is in Matthew 25, verse 6. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Yes, we are his children. Yes, we are his witnesses. Yes, we are the royal priesthood. Yes, we are worshipers. But I wonder if we need a revelation of simply knowing that we are the bride of Christ. And why does this matter? When, when we do weddings and I get the opportunity to stand at the front, I love the moment where the bride is coming down the aisle. And I want you to picture this with me, that the bride of Christ, you and I, coming down the aisle, and who's standing at the end of it? It's Jesus. And he's looking down at his bride, and his eyes are not distracted <coughs> by things that have been done, by things that are being said, by the chaos of the world. His eyes are fixed on you and his church. His eyes are fixed on the one that he longs for. And there's a joyful tear that falls from his eyes. And he looks upon you and he sees all that he longs for coming towards him. We, we, we do this where we're at a wedding and we, we want to take a peek at the groom. Is he crying? What's going on with him? I want you to look at Jesus right now. Stop looking at the ways in which you feel like you fall short. Stop looking at the ways in which you feel like you are not worthy of the one waiting for you at the other end of the aisle. I want you to turn your gaze to Jesus. I want you to see the joyful expression of one who is beholding his bride and feels nothing but unconditional love. Because when we look to Jesus, we see our true identity. We see who we are actually created to be. 
He names that. He declares that. He decides that. And he's made this long journey from his father's house to our home. Joy on his face because he is beholding the bride. He's beholding us. He's beholding you. We need to be reminded that we are the bride of Christ. And waiting is hard. Praying can feel really mundane. Waiting can do a lot of things to us. It can either break us or it can build us. It can grow our appetite or make us fragile. But this mundanity is at the core of the bride's identity because how we wait and what we do with where we set our gaze, where we put our hope, will determine the kind of intimacy and relationship that we are entering into. There's something about the mundane in the fidelity of a marriage about remaining committed. Bethany Allen, she says, the desire demands some form of discipline if it's ever going to be a realized joy. So what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? It means to accept his proposal. Do life with me. To hear his declaration, I love you. To know that you're meant for this. To be fully loved, to be fully known, to be fully seen. And to know that you're not too far gone. I have come to you. You have not come to me. Even when you have not come to me. And to wait with the expectation. With discipline and fidelity. And we live in this confidence and hope each day. So the challenge for you this morning. As we know who we are. Children, witnesses, priests, and worshipers. Brides of Christ. The bride of Christ. How will you wait? Will you wait with the posture of longing and desire for the one who is to come? And will you turn your gaze to Jesus waiting for you at the end of that aisle and see the joy in his eyes when he beholds you, when he sees you? Let's pray. Father, there there needs to be a healing in our hearts and our eyes and our minds sometimes to pull our attention away from the things that would say oh, we are not thank you for the beautiful metaphors of, of, the, of the scriptures that declare over and over again that you love us not a simple kind of love, but a sacrificial one. One that pursues and one that longs and one that intentionally makes space for us to come to you. Father, I just I just know my heart needs to be encouraged and drawn back to you over and over again to not look at the, the ways in which I fall short or ways that I miss the mark, but to look to you. So I just pray for our church, the bride of Christ, and I pray that, that a revelation of, of our identity in you might come because we've looked to you. 
see you. And from there, we live. From there, our confidence grows and, and our hope abounds. May we pray with purpose. May we, we wait intentionally. And may we look to you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.